right. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to all y'all. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm super glad that you came as well. It's pretty difficult to do church without each other. I get to preach from our lectionary. That's our Bible reading plan today. And if you don't have that Bible reading plan, you can get one either in your program or on the wall outside. We're reading passages each day. And the passage I get to read today is about priorities. Priorities are what helps us know what to do. They give us guidance when life gets fuzzy. They orient our actions in a way that shapes our future. Have you ever had a job where you're doing the job, you think you're doing a good job, and they sit you down and they're like, that's not what you were supposed to be doing at all. You should have been doing other things. It's like so frustrating when it turns out you've been following the wrong priorities. We want to follow the right ones. There's all kinds of important biblical priorities. There's learning God's ways. We have a connection card For about a year, the first prayer request I write on my connection card is, help me have more of God's wisdom and guidance. Knowing God's ways is a priority. There's faith. There's generosity to the poor. So many at this church have given so that we can be more generous to the poor in our community. There's self-sacrifice. One of the most common priorities for people today is education. A lot of people think education will lead to salvation. And so I just want to ask you to reflect for a second. What are your spiritual priorities? When you think about what helps guide your action and your relationship with God, what are your spiritual priorities? What helps you know how you're, how you're doing? There's so many good ones that we can have. Today we're going to learn about God's top priority for all of us. We're going to look at one of the most well-known passages of the Bible around the world. It's so well-known largely because people choose it for their weddings. Couples are getting married. They're like, what's the best thing from the Bible we could possibly read together when we're getting married? It's 1 Corinthians 13. It's beautiful and it's hopeful and it speaks to the kind of commitment that leads to great relationships. Now, as background for this passage... The Apostle Paul is writing here to a community that's having all kinds of division. That is like so common in the early church. When someone tells you, I want church to be more like the early church, just shake your head and say, man, read your Bible. Like, that's not what we're trying to do because the early church was just as messed up as ours because the early church had people just like we do, right? And so there's these arguments going on in part around spiritual gifts. People are saying, my gifts from God are more important than your gifts from God. And then they've managed to somehow screw up communion so bad that they're practicing it in a way that divides the rich from the poor and actually leads to more division in their church instead of unity. And so a lot of 1 Corinthians is actually about how to be a church community that is united in Christ. And today's passage is Paul's strongest about how to be a united community. And so we're going to start with 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secrets, plans, and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith, I could move mountains, but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
It's such strong language. Now, this chapter takes place right between a couple chapters about this church conflict that's been happening. And Paul is appealing in chapters 12 and 14 to unity. And the path to that unity is right here in chapter 13. It is through love. Paul tells the Corinthians, if you want to be the church that God has planned for you to be, then you need to function with love being the highest priority, more important even than every other good thing that you have been given by God. They need to love each other more than they value knowledge. They need to love each other more than they value spiritual gifts or knowing God's guidance and plans. They need to value love more than faith or generosity to the poor or self-sacrifice. Because if you do any of these things without love, it is wasted. Paul's saying here, whatever your priorities, whatever you value, put love just a little bit higher. Make loving God and loving people more important than whatever else it is that gets you out of bed in the morning. All these other things Paul lists here are super good. They're super important to living a faith life. Knowing God's plans, totally good. Knowledge is good. The Bible's very clear, right, that knowledge is good. But Paul doesn't want the Corinthians, and God doesn't want you to miss the most important thing. What is the most important thing in Scripture? It is love. Now, I had a friend say to me just this last year, that's just one passage. That's just Paul talking to one people. That's just this one section. There's other things that are important too. Well, let's look at the words of Jesus and remember those. A man comes to Jesus and says, what's the most important command in all the Bible? What one thing is the most valuable? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is the most important thing according to Jesus. And then Jesus tells this awesome story called the parable of the Good Samaritan that defines our neighbor. And I'm not preaching on that today, so I'm going to thumbnail it for you. Loving your neighbor is like walking along and finding someone who's been beaten down and left for dead who's a different tribe who believes different things theologically, who won't even talk to you because of who you are, and then you help them. You put them on your donkey, you bring them to an inn, you pay for them to get better, whatever it costs. Jesus says, go and do that, because that's what it means to love people. So it's not just Paul saying that love's the most important thing. It's not just one passage here. This is consistent with the whole rest of Scripture. When Jesus says this is the most important command in the whole Bible, that's like a big deal. That's our God who is saying this. So love is our highest priority. It's our highest priority when we come together to be the church. It's our highest priority when we serve together or on our own. It's our highest priority when we go out into the world. It's our highest priority in our homes, in our marriages, and our parenting, and even our extended family and the awkward uncle. It's our priority with all the strangers God brings our way. Love God, love people. This is the change God wants to make in the world. God wants to make this change for you. God wants you to know his love, and God wants to make this change through you. God wants you to let the love of God flow out of you into the world. And so this naturally brings up a key question, what do we mean by love? I cringe at some of the things I've heard people say, I do this because I love you. 
Has anyone ever heard, I do this because I love you, which is someone with an angry face who's pointing at you? I'm doing this because I love you. Shortcut, no, they're not. We don't get to define what love is. Love's defined for us as Christians right here in this next passage. Let's take a look at what God says love is. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. This one really hits me this week. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And so when we talk about loving God and loving our neighbor, this is what we mean as Christians. We don't make up our own definition. We go by the one written down in the Bible for all time. I read a bunch of commentaries on this passage this week, and I learned something new about this passage. In the Greek, what it's saying here, all the things love does, they're all verbs. And it doesn't translate to English super well, because we don't have a way to write this, so they translate it for us. But what it actually says here in the Greek is, love patiences people. Love kindnesses out in the world. Love forgives all these things. It's all verbs, every passage in here. Love is an action. It's not a feeling on the inside. You don't fall out of love somebody in a Christian way. You've fallen out of choosing to do good for that person, and you can fall right back into it, right? The definition here includes 10 things that love is not. I'm going to talk about those 10 things first. It is not, first of all, jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. We don't become loving people, and now we get to act like we're better than other people. That's proud and boastful, right? We don't go do loving things, then come home and ignore courtesy, because that's rude. Pope Francis was recently asked, what advice would you give married couples? First of all, dude's not married. Doesn't know what he's talking about. Second of all, I totally admire Pope Francis, and I really care what he has to say. I've read some of his writing, and it's beautiful, and it's really about Jesus. And here's what he said. Please, thank you, sorry. How great is that? I had one friend tell me after first service, yeah, my wife elbowed me when you said that. <laughs> the elbow of love, right? Uh, courtesy goes so far in our relationships. Remembering to say please, remembering to say thank you, remembering to say I'm sorry. Love doesn't forget common courtesy. Love doesn't demand that someone loves only you back. That's jealousy. Love has an open hand. And love's not irritable. I had a couple days this week where I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Anybody ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? You wake up in the middle of a dream and you're like, ah, reality, ow, darn you. I had a couple days where that happened and my kids were being challenging because kids do that. You know what? It's on me to leave the wrong side of the bed behind. I cannot love people while being irritable. You ever try to hold irritability and love within you at the same time? It just does not work. And so even on days where life feels like it's bringing me down, where life is genuinely hard, love doesn't fail. In good and bad circumstances, we are called to love. 
Now, God may be challenging you this week to keep on loving through a really hard time. Did anyone feel for a minute, like in November, like we were through all the hard times of the last couple years? Did anyone have that awesome feeling like we're on the other side of this thing? The sun is breaking through the clouds, and all of a sudden, no, it is not. No, it is not. The clouds have just rolled right over that little burst of sun that we were having, haven't they? And that's on top of all the other hard things about living in a broken world. So much has been so hard for so long. And so I just want to give you a chance today to do what the Bible says to do when we hit hard things. That's come to Jesus and give him our burdens so that he can give us rest. And so I invite you to just consider whatever hard things you're carrying. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. So Jesus, we come to you today. That's why we came to church today is to meet you. And we give you our burdens. All the hard things, COVID, the isolation, broken relationships, loneliness, the things going on that we don't have control over and some of the things we do, we just give those to you right now. Jesus, would you send your spirit and give us your rest? Take our burdens and give us your rest, Lord. Amen. All right, there's a few more things love does not do. Number one, it does not rejoice over injustice. We're never happy when things are wrong. Number two, love never gives up and never loses faith. Do you know what that means? That means God never gives up on you. God has never given up on you. Not for one second, not ever. Because the Bible says God is love. That's 1 John 4, 7. God is love and love never gives up, never loses faith. This is the heart of God for you all the time. May you receive and know God's love for you all the time. And so now we get to talk about the things that love is. First of all, love is patient and kind. It keeps no record of being wronged. It rejoices with the truth. It is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. It is my highest goal in life to love God and love people. And when I'm checking in with myself, I start at the beginning, have I been patient and kind? And that's enough right there, I can stop. That is enough right there to keep me growing for the rest of my life. I can't wait for the first time I get to the end of a week and I can go, yes, I was patient and kind the whole time. I asked in first service, I'm like, someone here older than me has had to have pulled this off for an entire week at some point. Would you stick your hand up? One woman, God bless her, was like, me. And I was like, thank you, there's hope. There is hope for us to become patient and kind by growing in the love of God. I've become more patient in many ways. That's a miracle of the Most High God. I'm growing in kindness, but just asking myself about the first two things of love reveals how far I have to go because love is always patient and kind. Real love is slow to anger. That's what patience is in Scripture most of the time. 
Real love is treating people with the golden rule, the way you want to be treated, because you want to be treated kindly, don't you, in good times and bad. Now, when I feel bad about how far I fall short of doing this every day, I get consolation from thinking about God. God is love. You know what that means? God is patient and kind with me. And you know what else that means? God's patient and kind with everyone I care about. Everybody in your heart, God is patient and kind for them. And so even when I fail, God keeps on loving because that's who he actually is. He keeps on showing patience and kindness toward me and toward you. And it's very encouraging. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God's not up there saying, Pete, you screwed up loving people again. You were impatient 12,935 times in a row. You're done. That's not how God is. I just made up a number. It's more than 12,000 times I've been impatient. God's record of you is wiped clean through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed your sins from you. The Bible says, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. That's how God's heart is toward you in Christ. I am so glad that love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance because I lose hope and I can't endure it sometimes. How about you? We may fall short, our hope may fade, but God always hopes with and for you. Through every circumstance, the good ones, the tragic ones, the wrong side of the bed days, the absolute worst days, God never gives up on you. God encourages you to receive his love and then to live like God, to never give up, to always hope, to turn it around and start heading the right way. These are how God feels about you. And just in case you wonder, does love really last? Does God's love carry through everything? I've seen on Facebook like five different times in the last month, Three generations from now, nobody remembers you. If you have a lot of money, somebody might remember your name and that you had money. They don't know anything about you. It's got nothing to do with you, right? And so what can we do that really lasts in the world? 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, three things are going to last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these three awesome things is love. And so how... Do we grow in love? I love this passage. It shows us something super beautiful. How do we do it? I've been thinking about that a lot this week. And a vineyard saying keeps coming to mind. The way in is the way on. And what that means is that the way we come to God is also the way we continue to grow in our spiritual life. It's not like you come to God one way and then do something totally different in order to grow in your relationship with God. It's actually pretty simple and straightforward. It's amazing how Jesus preached the same stuff for three years to guys who lived with him, right? And they still got it wrong because it's real hard to do, right? The way we come to God is through repentance. Jesus preached one message most often, most consistently, most elaborately, over and over, repent 
Because the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's so close, you can reach out for it. It's so close that Jesus teaches us to pray, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done right here on earth like it is in heaven. The way we step into the kingdom of God is repentance. What repentance means is just to change your mind. It is merely to say, you know what, God? I thought I was right. I wasn't right. You're right. I thought the way I was acting was good. I thought it was loving. I thought it would get me ahead. I thought it was functional, but it wasn't patient and kind. And you're right, God. I want to be patient and kind. And so I want to invite you this morning to consider your life and consider whether there's some things you could repent of. I'm going to offer you a few options that might hit home. Number one, you could repent of being defensive. Defensiveness is rude. It's self-centered. And the entire point of defensiveness is keeping a record of wrongs. You did that to me. I get to do this to you. And so maybe today you could repent and change your mind about that. Maybe you could repent of always being right. I fall into this one some way sometimes. Because love does not demand its own way. Love is not proud. We are not always right. Maybe you can repent with me of being irritable or impatient with people you love. Because love is patient and kind and never irritable. There's so much to repent of. And how do we do that? If it's the most common thing Jesus preached, how do we do it? The way we do it is just by changing our mind. And then we trust God to do the rest. We can change our mind and still get stuck in the same behavior. I have repented of impatience before, and I still struggle with it sometimes. But we trust in God to make the change in us. There's this amazing passage in Romans 7 that talks about our addiction to doing the wrong things. And Paul says, when we do the thing that we don't want to do, even that, because we know we don't want to do it, testifies that our heart is with God. Your repentance is enough, and then we put it in the hands of God to make the change in our behavior. And so I want to invite you to consider right now, what might God ask you to repent of today? I'm going to lead us in a prayer about that right now. I invite the worship team to come back forward, and uh, let's pray. So, God, I want to confess I have been irritable this week. I have believed that because my life's hard right now, I get to be irritable or defensive, and I'm sorry. All of us in this room have stuff to repent of, God, and together we just hold those things in our hands. And like our burdens, we offer them to you. We say these things are wrong. And we ask for your help, God. Would you help us to turn it around and live a different way? Would you help us live the way of love? For you and for everyone you bring to us. Help us to put love in action, God. Help us to patience people and kindness people. Keep no record of wrongs for people. 
Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able. We close our message with three tips, something to read, pray, and do to put the Word of God into practice as we've received it. And then we're going to transition into worshiping and praying together because worship and prayer is the most important thing you can do when you come to church on a Sunday. The three tips this week are, number one, read 1 Corinthians 13. is beautiful, and it's a really good light for how you're doing in your heart with God. Tip number two, pray for God's love to come to you and through you. The Bible says we love because God first loved us. The way to grow in love is to receive God's love. God feels love for you all the time. And then God can love the world through you. Tip number three, do something kind for someone you love. Love is an action. Do not wait for the feeling. Go out and kindness somebody. Do it one extra time in honor of the word of God as given to us this week. We're going to transition into worship. If you're on the prayer team, could you come stand up here? We would love to pray for you this morning. We have good people, good person at least. We got anybody else on this side of the room? Thank you. Fantastic. I love you guys. Love you ladies. We have people who just love to pray blessing. And you can come up and say, hey, would you pray for like anything under the sun? Or just would you pray, period? And they'll pray a blessing for you. And leaving church with a blessing feels awesome. I got prayer first service. I invite you to do the same. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to worship you, to pray together, to respond to your word. Send your Holy Spirit to us, God. Lift us into your presence. Show us how we can respond to your word. Show us how we can be a people of love. Thank you.